0: Welcome to another edition of our Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir and Angelo Poli, who just swept me off my feet last time a couple of weeks ago when we did this uh, in our first podcast. Uh, when we had conversations afterwards, he and I, off air, uh, we discovered that we didn't even get to some of the things that he and I discussed beforehand. So I thought it was so important because I think these are the keys to make it work for you. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm all in on this with Angelo of what we're trying to do here. And I, I recommend for any of our coaches, business leaders, anyone that's listening and you want to take yourself to another level, this is something you really have to investigate. So, Angelo, fr- welcome back, first of all, my friend.
1: Oh, thanks a million for having me, Brendan. This
0: is great. I'm looking forward to resuming the conversation. <laughs> now. The the thing that uh, my takeaways uh, you talked about goal setting, and a review if you would a little bit of the winning strategy that you have with goal setting, which I think sets you apart. Yeah. So what what I try and encourage um,
1: our listeners, audience, whoever we're working with or coaching to to take away is the highlights and, and the kind of the hundred thousand foot view of the the most pertinent pieces to. Winning. And in this case, what we're really talking about is transforming your body, your performance, your life, your health. And so, with goal setting, that's so critical that it's done right. Um, And in short, the piece that gets overlooked is really there is a strategy behind goal setting more than just make a list of everything you want to improve. Because we want to improve a lot of things, right? So whether you're an athlete on the court or whether you're a coach that's just looking to thrive in life and be fit, healthy, or maybe lose a few pounds, whatever the case may be for you personally, by having the right goals and the, and the right goal-setting strategy, uh, it really puts you ahead of the game in getting there. And so here's how that's done. Reverse-engineer your goals, build your goals in reverse. In other words, list everything that you want to accomplish and then one at a time, pull something off that list. So, Hey, I want to get faster. I want to get stronger. I want to drop 20 pounds. I want to lean out. I want to have more energy. Okay. Of that list, I want you to take three items off of it. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to get to them. It doesn't mean that we're not going to work on those. It means that every person on the planet has the same resource. We have 24 hours in a day. It means that what we're gonna do is we're gonna allocate more of our finite resource and funnel that into specifically the goals that are our priority. Once we do that, we have better odds of moving the dial. Some people, they're genetically blessed and they can be generalists. They can do a little bit in this area, a little bit in that area and really see progress all around. And that's great, but if you're listening to this and thinking, yeah, that doesn't describe me. I'm not I'm not seeing the progress these days that I'd like. Then I'd encourage you either of course work with work with an expert or even on your own jot down, okay, what are really are my goals and then put them in order. What's number 1, what's number 2, what's number 3? And then allocate the the lion's share of your efforts. To really moving the dial on the top one or two. And then when you feel you've gained a level of mastery on those that you're comfortable with, um, check it off the list and move on to the next, a a real simple illustration is weight loss. Let's say, Hey, you want to work on weight loss and you want to work on your strength. Well, set a goal, say, Hey, for the first 15 pounds or the first 10 pounds or whatever it is, I'm going to really focus 90% of my efforts on this. As soon as I check that off, then I'm going to move on to the next, to the next, to the next. And there's actually a strategic way of identifying when it's time to adjust your goals. So there are a finite amount of levers that you have, because remember, this is all about time management. And if you're listening to this, odds are you're a coach. So you know that really well, that it really boils down to time management. You just have 24 hours in a day, how are you going to use your time? So, if you have a really good system in place where you say, okay, this is my priority, then set a simple goal and you can identify exactly when you need to switch goals because you're going to experience diminishing returns, unfortunately. But that is the truth. When you reach a point where You've turned all your knobs, you've invested all the time you can in exercise, you've optimized your nutrition around that goal, you've invested the bulk of your training hours into moving the dial and whatever goal you've set up, and you reach a point where you've made progress but you're experiencing some diminishing returns, that's an indication that, hey, for a little while, give your body and your metabolism a breather. Let's move to the second or third goal on the list. Let's spend four to six weeks focusing on that. And then when you circle back around to your first goal, odds are your body will be a little bit more primed to give you progress. And so that's, that's really the science behind goal setting. For you coaches out there, if you're thinking about your athletes, there's some important um, considerations both the psychology and biology of, of this whole topic of goal setting. The phrase that I like to use is eliminate the weaknesses, but acknowledge the strengths. Um, and I have to admit my own viewpoint on this has shifted over the years. Uh, in early part of my career, I was very focused on just beating the the weaknesses out of the athletes. It's like, if I identified a weakness in this area, okay, their vertical leap wasn't as good as what it needed to be or their explosiveness or their strength. It's like, that's what we focused on. We always focused on bringing up, eliminating the weaknesses, right? With our real competitive athletes. Um, but as I spent more years, um, and just more experience working with people, I still am a firm believer that that has to be the foundation and the base but I also have to acknowledge that both mentally and, uh, and biologically, people who have um, a genetic predisposition for something also have the greatest predisposition for excelling in that thing. So what I was surprised to find is that if, if I took two athletes, and, um, one was, you know, struggled and let's call it acceleration. Maybe their are 40 yard dash, their speed. Um, and another actually excelled in it. If I had them both focus on that particular area, I was actually shocked at how much the one that already excelled at it would still be able to improve further. Why? Because they have a natural predisposition for it. Somebody who had tremendous upper body strength or lower body strength. When training those strengths, um, we just found abilities that they didn't know they had. And this principle, this carries on to you know any sport you play in all aspects because the game is, and any any good coach will tell you that the the game is is all mental, right? It's 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 in your head. So the same principles apply. Um, Eliminate the weakness, but always acknowledge the strength and balance that. Now, a practical takeaway for that is there's a lot of proven psychology about group training philosophy, which is why you have athletes and competitors train in, in small groups. Um, actually, we, we, there's been studies that have shown we, we have so much – units of attention. And when we're in a group situation, those focus attention is more outward versus strictly inward on what we're feeling. And then there's just the natural psychology of the adrenaline and competitive nature. And so what we've learned is that athletes excel when they're being, they're being trained in a group and, and we're being compared and challenged to, to really rise to the top. The problem with that is then when you go for a group training uh, model, it typically by nature lacks specificity because you can't have something different for every single person at the same time. It's just from a practical standpoint, very difficult to do that. So what I typically recommend is evaluate baseline test, get a basic uh, read on the strengths and weaknesses of your athletes. And depending on your sport, you can make your own, um, you can make your own list of strengths and weaknesses and that are important to you and for their sport and then have just two or three different models of off day training or off season training or whatever is appropriate for your circumstance. So that way they get the competitive training with their team or with other athletes And then they're assigned not just the same personal training strategy um, on their own, but something that's more unique to their strengths and weaknesses. And in in doing so, you can really come up with with a great strategy for success for athletes. And then if you're you're someone who's listening, just saying, you know, I really want to just set an example for my athletes or for my family or for my coworkers or employees or people in my sphere by – making health a priority, but I'm not where I want to be, or I'm carrying around these few extra pounds. Um, a good goal setting strategy, especially when, when combined with a little bit of consulting on it to help you really focus, um, this is what can be accomplished, give you perspective on realistic objectives and time frames and really what it takes to move the dial, um, can, can do wonders for personal accountability, which always results in, Progress. Progress is the greatest human motivator. When you see progress, you're ready to take the next step. You're willing to put more in.
0: That's the key. I, I love that. That Both of those have both the goal setting and the baseline testing. Uh, those were those were good. And I was going to ask you about how about the non-player, just the the coach, the business leader, the parent, you know, that once And you answered that at the end there, that was fabulous, Angelo. Uh, how about... You know, fitness training, you know, you you talked to me about six, you know, categories of exercise. Could you share with that? Yeah. So uh, probably backing up just one
1: step because the same principle for the fitness training and six categories that we'll dive into is always around baseline testing. And just like, just like you said, you mentioned the, you know, the, the coach, the, or just someone who wants to get in better personal shape, Mm -hmm. um, that, that baseline testing, I, I talked a lot about it last time, so I'll, I'll just be brief this time, but is really critical. It is my belief that that's the missing link in answering the question, what should you eat? Because here's the secret. I've, I've seen every diet on the planet work. I've seen every diet work. I've seen every diet fail. So there is no one path to success. And if you've ever, you know, if you've ever dabbled in it, you you've experienced that no two people are alike. you can have two people, they go on the same eating plan and they get two totally different results. There's nothing fair about it when it comes to metabolism. So my response to that is baseline tests. That way you're not guessing. And what that means is strip out the variables, have a meal plan, that's calculated and you know what you're eating. You know how many calories you're eating. You know what your macronutrient breakdown, in other words, how much of your calories are coming from fat, from protein, and from carbohydrates. Um, and you know how many meals you're having. So it's split up over three meals, four meals, five meals or more, whatever, whatever you, we set it up as. And then what that enables us to do is the data that we, that we extrapolate from it is absolute. In other words, there is no dispute. There's there's no ability to debate is it working or isn't working. There's the proof. Here's exactly what you ate. You ate this, this, and this. Did you have more energy? Yes or no. Did you lose weight? Yes or no. It's straightforward. Mm-hmm. And you might not get the answer you want. Maybe you you don't you get the answer, you don't have more energy and you didn't lose weight. But that's indisputable data that now we know, okay, this intake we have to manipulate, we have to change, we have to go a different route, we have to individualize it. So with baseline testing, you really get a platform to spring from that is grounded in your personal data. Now at at MetPro, what we do is something called uh, benchmark testing. So it's the same principle as baseline testing. But instead of just using a meal plan that's stripped of variables, We'll spend, and this is, again, just a few days, uh, we'll, we'll use a meal plan that's been um, designed and utilized by thousands and thousands of other people. So what that gives us is a third data point. So we have your intake, and then we have your personal output. In other words, the results, you gained two pounds, or you lost two pounds, or you stayed the same weight, or, you know, and a hundred other little nuances that we're looking at. But then we also have averages from thousands of other people who followed that exact same benchmark plan for a few for, for a, uh, a limited amount of time, and um, here's the average results. So on average, we would experience we would expect from someone your age, your size, your circumstance, your activity level to, you know, gain two pounds or to, or to lose three pounds or whatever the data tells us from that particular benchmark meal plan. And then what we can do is compare how you respond against that. So when we come back to the table with our, with our next strategy session, um, we're really armed with useful information. And if we tell you, you, you have a fast metabolism. And so here's the strategy. You can take that to the bank, Because it's based off of real just happened data and we've compared it against thousands of others. And if we tell you, you have a slow metabolism and we have to start with upregulating your metabolic rate, you can believe us. (laughs) we, We have the data that's showing, but whether it's good news or bad news, it's accurate news and it's important. So last time we talked, I dove into that a little bit more. But what I didn't dive into was how we apply the same um principles of baseline testing and evaluation to the fitness and training components. So okay. um uh, sorry for the long-winded lead-in, but there no. had to be the reference.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. No, no, and that you know what it makes perfect sense to me right now. I mean, now I'm I'm with you, right? I'm I'm, I'm in lockstep with you. I really like the idea, you know, we know that you know, in, in sport coaching, that there, no two players are alike. You can't right. coach any of them the same. The two, if you have two children at home, they're your own children. They're not alike either. So yep. the the idea of personalizing this is powerful. Yep you you got it
1: you got it. And so um, with the with the training aspect. Uh, a lot of people say, well, we, we hear you talking about nutrition so much more than training. Is Is it because your training isn't as important? No, that's not the case. Your training is as important. It's just less disputed. There's less confusion around the topic. Mm-hmm. You have to exercise. If you say to me, Um, I got to take off 35, 40 pounds. Um, I got to get healthy. I got to improve my cardiovascular health. I got to, you know, improve blood pressure, cholesterol, those, all the health markers and indicators. Uh, You're not going to argue with me when I say you have to exercise regularly. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. But what we will do is dive into the nuance of how you're going to invest your resource. Remember, we talked about that resource. We all have 24 time. hours in the day time. Yes, that's it. So the first thing I ask somebody, this is, OK, well, I'm going to exercise either just starting or maybe they already have a routine. How many hours a week can you invest in exercise realistically? And once we've established that, that's going to profoundly impact um, where we where we invest our time. You know, sometimes people come come back to me and say, "You know, I, I I'll ask them how how many hours a week can you invest in total in your health and fitness strategy?" And their goal is weight loss; they need to lose fifty pounds. And they come back to me and they say, "I can invest um, two hours into my in total my health and fitness strategy, and that that's all I have in my life right now." I said, "Hey." That's better than nothing. That's a starting place. Right. Um, so they say, so what am I going to do for exercise? And I tell them nothing. You <laughs> don't have time to exercise. Um, those two hours, those two hours are spoken for. Because remember, I, I, I'm, I'm all about specificity. I, and I, I like to win, Brendan. Uh, <laughs> I can tell. So, so I, I figured out if I want to move the dial, I got to get specific enough. So if, if you have two hours a week, then I'm going to encourage you to find another hour from somewhere. But until we do, your time is going to be spent in the kitchen prepping some meals because that is going to be the most direct line from where you are today to dropping those 50 pounds. Now, if you say I have two hours and my goal is increased performance and energy, then you know we're still going to carve off a half hour for food prep. But the rest of that time, now I'm going to break down. Here's what you were going to be doing exercising. Gotcha. So <laughs> yeah. with that out of the way, somebody comes back and they have a reasonable amount of time. Hey, I can spend one to two hours a week uh, in my grocery shopping and food prep strategy, which by the way, is a lot more intimidating than it needs to be for most people. When you do it right, there's a right way and a wrong way. A lot of people say to me, that, uh, I I know what I need to do. I I know the strategy. I know how to food prep. I know how to eat clean. Um, and what I tell them is I know you do. That's not what I'm here to do. What I'm here to do is to teach you how to apply that strategy in less time, make you more efficient at it and quicker at it because that's how you're going to be able to actually make it part of your ongoing lifestyle. (laughs) So back to the training philosophy, there's six types of training. Um, Now, I I know what you're thinking. There's a million types of training out there. There's six categories. So any strategy for exercise that that you have a preference towards, we can put it into one of these six categories. Okay. Uh, Brendan, is it okay if I kind of nerd out for a second on the (laughs) energetic pathways and we kind of just dive into some of the the geeky part of this? That's when I love you, baby. Go, go, go. (laughs) So the first, um, there's six categories. There's three that I'm putting on the left side of the line. And that is uh, aerobic or or a better term would just be cardiovascular mm-hmm. driven. Then on the right side of the line, um, I'm going to reference it as strength or hypertrophic. So the way that I break those two down is both types of uh, categories of exercise will expend calories will burn energy but uh, the farther right you are the more of a hypertrophic that means muscular development muscle growth effect that it will also have on your body which brings into play different energetic pathways different fuel sources and a different biological response so this is not about one is better than the other that's not a thing doesn't exist They're all tools. It's about knowing which tool is right for the job you're trying to do today. And if the job changes tomorrow, how to best use your toolkit. So with that said, on the far left, we have endurance training. Endurance training is unique among all other training styles in that it expends energy in the absence of a hypertrophic adaptive response. So in layman's terms, you'll burn calories and you'll learn, you'll use energy and you won't build any muscle. Or muscular development would be very minimal. Um, so when you think of endurance training, you think of long-distance running, long-distance right. cycling, that sort of stuff. But really, it, there's lots of activities that can fall under that category. The idea is lower intensity, longer duration. Um, Obviously, there's lots and lots of biological adaptions when it comes to how your body uses energy, oxidation, lipid uptake, intramuscular triglycerides that we can even all the way down to a cellular level we could could geek out on. But for today's purposes, um, you burn energy and you don't build muscle. So why is that relevant? Because if somebody comes to me and says, I need to simply be a smaller person, again, there's no right or no wrong here. This is just some science. I need to be a smaller person. What's the most direct result, direct pathway to that? It would be um, to expend energy without any sort of collateral growth, even if that growth is good growth. A lot of people are all right with becoming smaller while they add a little muscle. Some people just want to become smaller. So that's where understanding what each training category and the impact on your body is relevant. It's just knowing what the tool set is. Now, pros and cons. Um, The pros is that you can burn calories, you can recover from it, um, you can do more volume, uh, and you do have to spend a little bit more time. So the cons is that uh, endurance training is not particularly time-managed. So if you only have 25 minutes, If you do slow, uh, slow or low impact or really um, light intensity for 25 minutes, frankly, you're going to burn far fewer calories and much less energy than if you were doing a more high intensity activity. Sure. So that puts a bow on the endurance training. The next category still on the left of the line. The next category is interval training. This is one of my favorites. And the reason it's one of my favorites is simply because I'm all about the practical. People get really hyped up and excited about new science and the technicality of this impact of exercise and that. What gets me excited is lifestyle tools because I have been in this game long enough to tell you that consistency wins, <laughs> always. You know, People say, well, no, you gotta be intense when you work out. If you're not consistent with your workout, you don't have the ability to graduate to intensity. Mm -hmm. You have to have the foundation first. So what is holding people back from consistency 90% of the time is not desire, not not attitude or willpower. It's just simply they're busy. They're just so busy. You got to drop off Johnny. You got to... You know, meet the boss. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you know, you have employees that need your attention. Maybe you have family that needs your attention. Maybe you have a job that's demanding. Maybe you're self employed, in which case you know firsthand that your boss can be a real jerk. (laughs) You, you, there's just stress in life, and people are generally well intentioned and they, they want to follow through, but we get so busy that what we need is tools for when we don't have as much time, how do we stay consistent? So digressing interval training is super effective because even in as little as 20 minutes, you can get a tremendous metabolic response. Um, Varied intensity is basically a gentler way of saying interval training. So if somebody is just a beginner, uh, what you can do is periods of a little higher intensity and periods of a little bit lower intensity. And if somebody is, Uh, more athletic or more advanced, then they can do true what's called HIT training, high-intensity interval training, and that's basically maximal or near-maximal effort for a short burst followed by active recovery for for a time period, and uh, it's incredible in its ability to, to burn calories, to expend energy, and you'll feel it even for a few hours after. Now, interval training is mildly hypertrophic, So, what that means is you're not going to get big bulky muscles. But look at the physique um, when you see like in the Olympics, long distance runners Mm -hmm. versus when you watch in the Olympics, the sprinters. So, sprinters don't look like bodybuilders, but they are very muscular because an um, an all out sprint, a maximal effort, even if it is aerobic activity and not resistance training, Uh, will still place some significant demand on your musculature. So you can expect a mild hypertrophic response from interval training, but not in the same way as if you were doing pure resistance training, weightlifting, et cetera, or plyometrics, et cetera, et cetera. Moving one more category, um, but still on the left of the line, is what I call cardio um, circuits or cardio cross-training. So cross-training has become really popular these days. In fact, even a lot of athletes are doing CrossFit and similar. Um, For cardio cross-training, basically that's just a way of saying that you're doing uh, uh, circuits or cardio circuit training. You're doing circuits, but you're selecting exercises that challenge your cardiovascular system More so than your muscular system. So there's going to be less power lifting movements in that circuit, more plyometrics, running, sprinting, rowing, et cetera, body weight activities that would all fall under aerobic and cardiovascular exercise for certain. Um, but there is still a hypertrophic element, especially once you get into the plyometrics, there's going to be a muscular adaptive response um, and, and you're going to burn calories and you're going to actually gently encourage some muscularity. Uh, and it, it's a great option for people. The key is just understanding that what what it is that it does. So now the next category, we move to the, to the right of the line. So this is where... Uh, I would classify an exercise style as being hypertrophic. Now, that doesn't mean that it lacks an aerobic or cardiovascular element. It just means that it's dominantly muscular development. So the first in that category would be circuit training. So circuit training is essentially bodybuilding moves or lifts, resistance exercise that's just done at a faster pace where you've decreased your rest interval. So there, there's really a finite number of ways you can increase intensity uh, or rather a better word is alter intensity within a a training session. You can lift a greater load. You can do higher repetitions. You can increase or change the range of motion. A real common way of doing that is you do two different exercises, different angles for the same body part or muscle group is really a range of motion alteration technique. Um, And then there's a fourth way that is really among my favorite that sometimes gets overlooked. Uh, You can decrease the recovery period between exercises. Um, And that's really what circuit training is all about. It's not necessarily about picking the hardest movements or lifting the most weight. It's about going from one movement right into another, right into another, right into another. And what that does is it forces you to, A, you have to lift much lighter weight, and B, it is very aerobic. You're going to be huffing and puffing the whole time. Um, so great balance between the two, but I would definitely still nudge it on the uh, muscular strength and endurance side of the of the line. Going one more step into that direction would be um, cross training, and that that would be basically the same as what I mentioned before, but not necessarily picking exclusively cardiovascular. Exercises, but picking a blend between strength training, uh, even some classic powerlifting movements, or, or even gymnastic movements, combined with aerobic activities. So, as an example, very very commonly, what you'll see is deadlifts, you'll see pull-ups, and then you'll see sprints or a row machine, all put into essentially a circuit, um, and that would be a fairly common uh, CrossFit style. Um breakdown uh, of cross-training. And uh, there's definitely a hypertrophic element there. A- as you can see with people who participate in these types of sports, they become very muscular. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not lack that it's lacking the aerobic cardiovascular component, but uh, th- that's definitely on the muscle-building side of things. Then there is Uh, Oh, and there's one more word about that. A lot of people ask me, um, since that seems like such a great, well-rounded, therefore time-managed approach, uh, why is it that's not a recommended approach for a lot of beginners? And the answer is really it depends. Some beginners it is a good approach for, but a lot of times the movements that are included in those type of circuits require a knowledge base, a skill base that a pure beginner may have the athleticism for, but not the experience for, Uh, particularly with any sort of ollie lifting, power lifting, things like that. That's something you want to work up to over time, uh, not necessarily your first day all out on. So that's just a little side note on the cross training. Then finally, what you have is the far right, and that's your pure strength sports strength training um, sports so that'd be bodybuilding style where you're doing lifts in the gym using machines or free weights and dumbbells etc uh, followed by uh, adequate rest to let the muscles recover so you can really go again and again with close to maximal effort on most sets um, Power lifting would definitely fall under this category. That's going to be more your barbell work where you're lifting greater loads for fewer repetitions. Uh, the unique impact that this style of training has on your biology uh, can't be overstated. Uh, it is one of the most potent ways to uh, challenge your body to change. Uh, and, and we could get into the energetic pathways and ATP cycles and how it actually just changes Really, how your body works chemically, but your your muscles and your body will adapt, be forced to adapt to the load, and that can have a significant um, performance and aesthetic change on your body, uh, sometimes very readily uh, visible, which is why um, in physique sports such as bodybuilding, um, that's the style of training that they use. So those are the six categories. Can you think of the exercise that you do? What category does it fall under? So sometimes I'll be asked, well, is, is one better than the other? Why are you teaching me all about these six categories? It's not a matter of better. It's a matter of being purposeful, um, being intentional with your training. So I would, I would whether you're a, just a, a weekend warrior or whether you're a pro athlete, I would challenge you to break down your training program and, and really siphon off how many hours a week are in this category, how many hours a week are in that category and critically evaluate. Is that really in harmony with my goals? Uh, I'll, I'll get, uh, I'll get some pro athletes that they'll, they'll hire me specifically to critique their training program. I'm not interested in whether you're doing, you know, bicep curls in a kneeling position or a standing position, dumbbells or barbells. I mean, we can talk, uh, for hours on just the physiology and nuance of training approach. I'm interested in the big picture strategy because that's really what moves the dial. What I want to know is what's your goal is your goal, explosiveness and strength. If so, I need you to justify to me why over 50% of your training program would be on the far left categories. What's your goal? Is your goal increase stamina, endurance, building up that engine? If so, I really need you to justify why over half or two thirds of your training time is with dumbbells in the strength category. You see where I'm getting at? It's that resource. You only have 24 hours in a day. Let's make it count. And so that's where the science of understanding how exercise impacts your body. um, And then we layer over two things, your goal, and there's one more thing we have to layer over, and that's your genetics, your body type. Your body type will definitely influence how your body will respond to different training methods. So there's... More petite muscular structure of an ectomorph. There's a medium musculature of a mesomorph, and there's a stocky musculature of an endomorph. And with mesomorphs and endomorphs, they tend to hold on to uh, muscle a bit better. So they can usually get away with a little bit more time in the cardiovascular categories. Whereas ectomorphs, if they live, spend their whole life in the cardiovascular categories, it's fine unless their goal is to add more muscle onto their frame, in which case they may need a little more time than the other body types in those pathways. Um, of course, that all has to be filtered through the lens of what is your goal. And that, that's my pet peeve in the industry is recommending a strategy to someone you don't know or you don't have data on. There's just there's really no basis for that. If you want it to be optimized, it needs to be through the lens of who are you, what's your goal, what's your genetics, your body type, what's your schedule, right? Um, and now let's put together a meaningful strategy. And if we really want to optimize, that strategy needs to be updated frequently as you progress and check
0: off one goal and the next. That's
1: the shtick on on fitness
0: categories. No, <laughs> you know, and and it, it, it's you know I'm trying to think now um, the way I coach a team, and it's so it's so logical, and and I'm thinking along with your last statement, you know, about the progress constantly as your team goes on through the season and you get better, you have to change your training methods. You have to teach newer things to them and it's really the same principle. He, if you did the same workout the first day of practice in basketball or football and you did the last day after eight, six months of playing, your team would be bored and they frankly wouldn't be any better. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, but the thing that I've always said, Angelo, is um, you know, coaching is about taking players where they can't take themselves. Okay, mm, So like most that. of the people that really need and everyone needs this they can't get there by themselves. I can, you know, you know. And so, talk about the psychology of coaching and motivation, which I think is probably one of the real keys to this whole thing. I I, I practice what I preach. I have a coach. I say, hey, you have a coach? Yeah. Isn't
1: you, you don't know what to do? Huh? I know what to do. It's the motivation and the accountability because I will let myself down before I'll let you down. That's just mm. how I'm wired. And it's how most people are wired yep. for being honest. Yeah. As a coach, and, and when I train other coaches, I explain to them, they say, you know, I'm giving them the right information. Why are you saying something's missing? So, because your client or your athlete, your student, your pupil, whatever the circumstance, has to feel your genuine enthusiasm, your love for them, your care and concern for them, and that you are just as enthusiastic about them winning, about them making progress personally as they are. And if if you have that, not only are they gonna sense it, but that's gonna allow you the ability to be more candid with them and you can have the hard conversations and you can say, I want you to do this for me. If you don't have that kind of relationship with your athlete or with your client, you can't ask that. You can say, I want you to do this for you. But sometimes they're, they're not that hard on themselves, right? Again, we'll let ourselves down before we'll let someone else down. So that's why when you hear, uh, you know, you've, you've lived this, but the stories of athletes rising above doing more than they would otherwise be able to on their own. They did it because they believe in their coach and they want to be there for him or her. And it's just it, that relationship is so meaningful in their life that applies That applies to every coaching relationship, every mentoring relationship, any teaching uh, relationship. And so I started kind of getting interested in this uh, maybe about a decade ago. I had, had, over my career, I've had about 80 trainers that have worked for me um, in one capacity or another. And that's That's both uh, my own program that now, of course, we've developed metabolic profiling coaches, people from around the world. But um, I used to manage uh, large fitness facilities, um, personal training programs. So I would do the strategy for all personal training uh, clients for large gyms, and I would manage multiple gyms, personal training programs. So I had quite a, a roster of different personalities and training styles. Um, in the coaches that were working with all of these clients. And I just marveled at how I could have someone on the same nutrition plan and the same basic training split, but then when I switched their coach, all of a sudden something could snap and they would just take off. Why? Why? Same biology, right? It's that that motivation, that accountability, and uh, connecting with someone. So what I started doing is, and I'm no psychologist, but what I started doing was uh, putting people into three different categories or groups. Um, and I'm sure there's a much more in-depth way. Some of my mentors are fin- fantastic in in the psychology and leadership, but. Um, if I were to just break, boil it down into just three basic categories, I'll put people into mentoring categories where they thrive under a mentoring relationship, an instructor category, and a leader category. And they all have unique virtues. So this is just a real kind of dumbed down, simple way of, of thinking about your athletes, your clients um, that will help you. This isn't for the clients. This isn't something they have to worry about. This is so that you as a coach can perform your best. So what does it mean if we have somebody in a mentoring relationship? It means that this is someone who thrives off of a strong support system and doesn't want to let you down as a coach. You can ask them to do it for you (laughs) and they want to, as long as you've earned that relationship. Um, People in that sort of relationship thrive with, um, thrive with working with others, supporting others, and having someone who supports them. Now, people that I categorize as instructors, um, this is kind of the category that I would fall into. I have to know the why behind everything. I'll, I'll do anything my coach asks me as long as I understand it. There's a lot of people like that. Um, And that's, I applaud when somebody asks why. That's always a good thing. Mm -hmm. So if you identify that this person or this athlete, this individual has a thirst for knowledge and they need to know, they like to know the nuts and bolts of how behind something, uh, how, how something works behind the scenes. If you can provide them with a logical, justified explanation of the strategy behind what they're doing, boy, they're all in. And so identify that in your athletes. And then there's leader types. Leader types respond very well. They hold themselves to a kind of a high standard. Um, They respond well to challenges. Throw down the gauntlet. You know, I saw you did this. Not bad. I challenge you to go the next step. They'll, They'll respond well to that. So, yeah, so if you know your audience, you're going to kind of know how to best interact with people to help provide the most support um, and the, the greatest foundation for motivation for that person. So for, for the psychology of coaching, I mean, Brendan, you've been doing this for years. You've probably seen all different types. There is no right or wrong. Um, it, it's a matter of... Uh, Going back to my whole philosophy and belief system is just look at the data, know, know people, know what you're dealing with, um, and just avoid the one size fits all mentality in across all boards, nutrition, training, and the psychology of coaching. The more you um fine-tune, cater it to the individual, generally speaking, the better the result has been my experience. Along those lines of motivation. What I try to do is, um, leave people with, um, in, in conclusion, leave people with just some life hacks, um, disruptive behaviors that are good. That's because a lot of people will listen to, to some of, uh, our lectures or seminars and education, and then they'll come back and they'll say, I love everything I'm learning. I don't have the circumstance to dive in a hundred percent. Those that do awesome. We're ready for you. <laughs> make the call. But those who just, you know, give me something I can go home tomorrow. And with my busy work schedule and family demands, I can start with. And so I try and break it down into, I mean, you I'm sure you've gotten the sense already. I like things that are practical and functional. So here's, if you can just apply a few things, pick one of these and I'm going to kind of, is it all right, Brandon? Sure. If I, sure. Uh, rapid fire. Absolutely. Build a nutrition go bag. So why do people eat poorly? The answer is not because they want junk food and because it tastes good. (laughs) People do want junk food and it does taste good. (laughs) But if I were to, uh, I've evaluated thousands of people. If I were to break down and tell you why you ate the hamburger, the piece of pizza or whatever the case was, it was not because that was your choice. It was because you ran out of time and that's what was convenient. 90% of deviation. In other words, assuming you're trying to be healthier, if I say, look, do you want this grilled chicken salad um, or or do you want this greasy cheeseburger? And three out of four times, assuming you're in and you're saying, I'm trying to eat healthy, you're going to choose the the grilled chicken salad. Now, one out of four times you're going to say, I've had a rough day. I want that cheeseburger. Life doesn't give you that choice. Here's the choice life gives you. You can either stop what you're doing, drive home, start chopping vegetables and grilling, grilling food, uh, or you can walk two doors down and get something that will be ready for you in five minutes that'll cost you a nickel, <laughs> <laughs> which, which are you going to do? Hmm. Um, so here's the solution. Build a go bag, which means have snacks already packed ready to go that you keep with you or in your car. Now, here's the mistake people make. They try it and they say it didn't work because they brought it with them, but then the next day the food went bad. For your go bag, it has to be low perishable foods for it to be effective. So that means items that can survive a little bit of heat that don't have to be refrigerated that that don't that aren't perishable very quickly at least. Things like Peanut butter packets, almond butter packets, rice cakes, jerky, raisins, all variety of nuts, things like that work super well for for low perishable go bags. And so what I have my, my clients actually do is when we start working together in the first week, I have them build a go bag with enough snacks for four or five days. I have them actually take a picture of it and send it to me so I can see what their go bag looks like. And then I tell them, look, keep it in your briefcase. Heck, keep it in the glove box if need be in the car. And then next time you just need a snack or something quick to get you through until you can get a quality meal, you have something to go to. You won't always need it, but if you have it ready to go, it makes all the difference.
0: Angela, Second. What would, oh, what, one thing. What would Give me an example of uh, just a couple of items that would be in a go bag So some of our listeners just to them.
1: So I love using, um, so you can use some dried fruits. Okay. You can, like raisins is the e- easiest accessible, but okay. there's other dried fruits that will work because they're lower perishable, um, rice cakes. There's all different styles and brands and flavors. Um, they're low calorie, generally speaking, and they're low perishable, um, uh, jerky, you can get turkey jerky. You can get beef jerky. Heck, um, I even started becoming a fan of salmon jerky. If you've never tried that before, but these are items that, okay. when prepared properly, are low perishable—not non-perishable, but low perishable. Um, nuts, almonds, peanuts, um, all walnuts—you name it. All kinds of varieties these are really simple things. Uh, you can also go to some supplementary things like protein powder. Uh, the mistake some people make is going to nutrition bars or supplement bars. That's okay sometimes, but generally speaking, most of these companies have figured out that they sell more by making them taste good than necessarily <laughs> being a great breakdown. Yeah. For some reason they struggle more to make, um, make uh, protein bars taste good, then they do protein powders. Protein powders can be very lean and clean and taste delicious. Whereas the bars, if they taste delicious, usually it's a Snickers bar with protein added. So just be wary of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. No, that's great tip. No, that's, I love that exercise. Um, on the exercise front, um, a lot of people say exercise early and I am a big believer in that. And there's been studies that have been, um, Produce that that show that statistically your odds of exercising are uh, diminish the the further into the day you get. Um, so if you can exercise early, that's great. But I have found that the real key is anchoring your exercise. So what that means is, um, for some people, ex- exercising first thing in the morning is the ultimate anchor. It's the first thing I do. If I wake up, I exercise. But for other people, as long as exercise is connected to a static appointment in their calendar, something that they can't move or won't move, the exercise is more likely to get done. In other words, um, if you pick up Johnny every day at 2.30, that's a static. That You're not going to not pick up your son, <laughs> right? <laughs> so exercise right before that. Hit the gym and then go pick up Johnny Gotcha. or maybe right after that. Every day you get off at 5.30. And you pass the gym on your way home. Well, you're getting off of work every day and you're driving down that street every day. That's not moving. That's a great time to exercise. What doesn't work so good is I'm going to exercise and I'm going to try and exercise four or five days a week um, whenever I can fit it in. That is a recipe for for disaster. I can tell you with my clients, I can tell you who will follow through the following week on their exercise and who's going to miss their sessions. And it's always the same thing. If you can tell me when you're going to exercise, odds are you're going to do it. If you tell me you're going to exercise, but you don't know when, odds are you're not going to do it. It's pretty simple. Snacks, last one. Don't take snacks socially. Um, a lot of people know that I, I'm a big fan of snacks. I am, uh, but not for the reasons you would think. So the reason I love snacks so much as a strategic lever is because I, I don't have to battle the social element that I do with lunches and dinners. So I don't always get complete control or mastery over my clients' lunches and dinners. Now I have influence, but I don't have complete control. Why? Because sometimes there's business lunches, sometimes there's family events, there's social outings, sometimes you're not in control of what you eat at those meals. You're in more control than most people will admit, That's the truth. You do have more control than most people would like to admit with a little bit of effort, but you don't have total control. What you do have control of is your snacks. Hey, can you have some apple slices and some peanut butter at at 2.30 in the afternoon? If you tell me no to that, you probably just really don't want to be coached right now. Who's going to say no to that? Why? Why? Because there's no social implications. There's no awkwardness. There's no meeting someone. You're not going to get together with your buddies to eat a snack at 2.30. It's simply something you keep in your drawer at your desk. You pull it out. You set an alarm. It takes you less than five minutes. It's done. And you or your coach is in complete control over what that meal looks like. So what I can do is I can anchor to that. If you use snacks strategically, then we can anchor to that and have at least a semblance of structure to your day, even if we can't control every single variable. So there's there's three simple tips that you can go home tomorrow and without much fuss, start implementing.
0: <laughs> that's excellent. Boy, that makes it, I'm not going to say it makes it easy, makes it easier because now that's I it. understand it. Yeah, That's it. You have a plan now. Andrew, that's fabulous. Anything else that you need or want to add? If, uh, if you take
1: advantage of, of Brendan's very generous offer to, um, if you reach out to us, we're going to, uh, because you're uh, Brendan's audience, we're going to give you a free 30-minute consultation. Wow. Take advantage of it. Um, even if, Even if you're just shopping and not buying, that's fine. Come take advantage. But here's what I mean by take advantage of it. Share about yourself because you, you're not just talking to some random person, you're talking to one of just a handful of experts. If you share with them about yourself, your schedule, your lifestyle, your details, your history, they're going to be able to actually give you pointers and suggestions and maybe think about things in a way you haven't thought of before. That's, that's our specialty. That's what we're passionate about. So if you go to metpro.co forward slash coaching you, Again, it's metpro.co forward slash coaching you. Um, ask to talk with one of our professionals. Uh, as long as we know that you're coming from from the Coaching You podcast, uh, the, the consultation's on us. We'll have a
0: blast. That's a very, very generous offer. And I, I encourage all of our listeners, take advantage of this. This is something – the biggest game you're going to play, frankly, is a game of life. It's not the darn sport you're coaching. It's, it's your life. And if you can – hey – be it at high energy and peak performance to do that, or if you can help some of your players t- go to another level, that's why we're so excited to be on the same team with Metro. Angel, phenomenal once again, man. I, I, I love this. I mean, this is really this is life changing for me. I really, I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's fabulous. It's
1: been an honor, Brendan. Thank you so much.
0: You know, one of the things that I, I enjoy so much about our podcast is I get to talk to some fantastic leaders, coaches, uh, you know, authors, uh, people that have just accomplished so much. Angelo Poli at MedPro is one of the most extraordinary experts in his field that I've ever talked to. I mean, I know world class. I know what champions and championships look like. And this guy has a DNA that is incredible and that I am – Uh, committed to really help myself uh, by getting involved with MedPro to to take myself to another level because I just I told Angelo several times I said what we're doing to help coaches around the world is too important to me and so I I want to make sure that I can be at my best to do this for a long time so really please go and take advantage of this I think you'll really enjoy it Uh, we're down to the to the end almost of, you know, our phenomenal event coming up in Vegas, uh, July 8 and 9, Monday, Tuesday. Please, we don't have that many spots left. Go to coachingyoulive.com. Please sign up. Remember, this is our VIP. The only time in a year that we do this, you are sitting courtside listening to the best basketball coaches in All areas. All areas that will make you and help you become better. And so please take advantage of this. Remember, besides the courtside seating, you get a couple of meals, you know, to network with other coaches and our speakers. And then, of course, you know, you're going to get our Coaching You Notebook, which I think you're really going to love this year, as well as, you know, our Coaching You Dry Fit shirt, which, you know, was a big hit last year. And by the way, the most, the thing that I think separates us from other people is that every one of you that come, we'll get $375 worth of the clinic videos. That'll be included in your price. So basically, depending on when you signed up, you're coming to the clinic for free by getting those videos. That's the way I look at it, and that's what we did. When we we did this, we wanted to make sure that you maximized your attendance there by getting those videos, so that you can learn over and over. I had a coach call me this morning and said, I've rewatched for the second time every video. I'm now ready for my summer of learning. That's what it's about. Till we see you there, we look forward to it and again next week on our podcast. This is the coach, Brendan Sir.